Welcome to page three of the Rhythms of Life. In this segment, we'll be talking to my friend Mitt about poverty. I'll be talking about poverty and I'll be going out into the community and asking people about their ideas and their thoughts on life. Poverty, it's a huge issue, um, especially in the United States um, and even during the times right now, especially uh, during the times of Corona. Um, I think what we're seeing is how Corona is affecting almost everybody. It may be affecting their job, their, their children's ability to go to school, um, their income, um, the ability to survive, to pay their rent, to pay their bills. However, I feel like we've already seen this with people that are experiencing poverty, people um, that may have already had trouble paying their expenses and getting their kids to school, getting transportation or, you know, trying to find hours or even if they could find hours, trying to keep hours. I've had jobs where my hours were cut again and again and jobs where they wanted me to have a bachelor's degree, but really didn't have hours for me, didn't really pay me that much. And, you know, sometimes it's it's not always about, oh, well, you know, you just picked a bad job. Well, I work in a lot of social work and, you know, some jobs, that's just how they operate. Um, especially jobs where it's about kind of like family planning. They want to find people who have a lot of experience, but you really don't get that many hours or you really work in a lot of the evenings. And if you have kids yourself, then, you know, that that's hard, especially if you were the main parent. Now, if you had two parents and one parent, you could be with the kid during the day, your child, and another parent could be with the child at night. That's different. But that's not really how a lot of people are operating in their households today. So I think about the, you know, corona, and I think about What's what a lot of people are experiencing now. I feel like a lot of people have already been experiencing this, already been trying really hard to survive, trying to, you know, find really hard to, you know, um, not go into overdraft with their, you know, their bank account, you know, trying really hard to manage what they can, you know, put gas in, in, in their car. And it's really difficult especially the poverty that we're really talking about nowadays is a lot of relative poverty, poverty um, that uh, compares an income from one class to another class. It's a whole class system, and it's about who has the comforts in life. Now, when you think about absolute poverty, that's like have not having the basic needs, the basic necessities. And relative poverty can be more of, okay, you don't have a phone, an adequate place to live, this is this. It can be a lot of different things, and um, especially poverty in this country is very relative. Um, we compare each other, you know, well, how much does your car cost? Or, you know, how much did you pay for that? I think it's a, we compare a lot to a lot. It's a huge comparison. And, um, and basically, you know, in order to really get through, especially the times we're in now with the corona, is to really work with each other. And when we don't work with each other, when we don't work side by side, hand in hand to get things done, I'm not sure how we ever get anything done. When, when, when we think about surviving, you know, 
sometimes some people say, you know, if I didn't have my mom, I wouldn't have made it through college. If I didn't have this, I wouldn't have made it through this. But a lot of people don't have that. And sometimes people don't even have the ability to get certain loans. Someone could say, I had this loan to get this business or I had this to get that. Some people, their option is predatory loans or um, payday loans, which have a lot of huge, huge, huge rates, huge interest rates. Um, huge rates basically where... Um, it's, it may cost one price, but, you know, uh, by the time you, you have to pay it back, it's a lot more out of your pocket. So we got to think about what's available and what's available to one party to the next party and resources shouldn't have to be, oh, because of my income, I have the availability to get a financial planner. Um, it should, a financial planner should be available to all people because having that ability to get good financial advice, um, to learn about investments and in, in stocks and bonds and, um, to learn about your network, to learn about savings, learn about, um, just your cognitive biases, your emotional biases when it comes to your ability to control your money and control your expenses. When we think about kind of poverty it's deeper than just you don't have any money it's much more deeper it's about what resources are available and to who and how and what timing what's the timing and I'm glad that I don't think corona is good for anyone but I feel like the social distancing is really encouraging people to really want to be next to each other and actually talk to each other and be around each other and come together so I think it's very important, especially in this day and age, um, that we work together to get some things done. regulations in general sometimes or they just say okay well you can't do this you can't do that but then with the corona now it's like oh well you know what we're changing it and you know even if the bars you know or bars or the businesses wanted to do their own thing once the government says oh no you can't do this and this and that or now you can only do this this and that it's like oh now we have to listen and I just feel like you know like with the drinking and stuff you know, before, for a long time, it was like, no, that's not allowed. No, no, no. But now, oh, it's allowed now. And I feel that with a lot of things, like how they, you had this thing where you said that you couldn't work. Basically, you couldn't work at home. Like a lot of jobs were like, no, we don't have options for that. But now with this, they're like, oh, well, we figured it out. 
we, we figured it out now how you can work from home remotely, you know, so I feel like for a lot of these, um, new options that are available, I feel like they were available before, and I'm not saying, like, with the mixed drinks and stuff that that should be happening, but there you go. See, like, now it's, now it's an option, and... You know, now I feel like the way things are looking, this is kind of what the world would look like if I feel like like the internet took over or just like that kind of business. Because it would be like all the drive-thrus would only be open and only, you know, like self-checkouts and only, you know, picking things up. No one would be going into anything anymore, only working from home. It would be total isolation. And... At some level, I feel, well, I feel like I don't, I still crave human interaction as much as, I don't know, I don't know if I'm an introvert or an extrovert, I'm, I guess sometimes either, but, you know, I crave going out and meeting people face to face, and um, I think, I don't know, a lot of people are perfectly content inside their own little world, I think there's always going to be part of the population that is going to be happy doing that, and part of the population that needs to be outside and I just think things are getting more awkward because you know like for example like when you like move somewhere right a lot of people like the people they that they're friends with is most of the time someone they went to high school with to college with you know they had a closer interaction or they had a circumstance or maybe you meet people at bars but a lot of people like don't go to bars because they're like well I don't drink you know I'm just gonna sit there with some water you know, trying to meet people. Yeah, those people and, usually meet other people in church. And then, yeah, and then if you don't go to church, you know, like, it's, it's just, I think then it's kind of... in the bar. <laughs> it's kind of hard because it's like, if you don't go to church, if you're not in a school, if you, if you you know, if your job is not with a lot of, a whole bunch of employees or co-workers, and it's like... Maybe you could start an agnostic teetotaler group. A teetotaler group? Teetotaler. Teetotaler, what's that? A teetotaler. Never heard of that word, actually, you know. But that's very interesting. I'm serious. I never heard of that word. I was like, what? But I don't know. I just feel like the times we're in is very interesting. And I think more and more people are just freaking out, like, every day. I feel like every day is, like, getting kind of worse. Like, not with the with the actual virus, with people. Like, not the virus, people. You know, so... I don't know. I think a lot of things are going to be closed at the like end of April. To be honest, we're going. It's April tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Next week, things are still going to be closed. You know, the week after. Well, I walked by the Y yesterday, and the sign there still just said they will be closed until the 31st, and then they should be right open. So I'm curious if they're going to be open tomorrow. Um. Yeah, I, I, I it's it's this is unsustainable. It is. It's like you know, I mean, people are, are, are losing their minds. Well, <laughs> again, back to that, that that financial part of it, but there is a necessity. I mean, people don't have money for food. You're still gonna pay for your rent. And so, at some point, I here's my expectation: it's gonna be like our reaction to 9/11. Um, hopefully, without starting wars, but um, we'll probably figure out a way to do that too. Um, but we're going to put up some kind of health safety theater, just as the TSA was security theater afterwards. Yeah. Uh, they'll probably make rules about mandatory 
wash stations and um, things like that. And then we'll just go, you know, we'll eventually go back to a new normal. I don't think we're, you know, like we, once we went to a post 9-11 world just like this, I don't think we're ever going to go to a pre-coronavirus world that's going to change the way people think. You know, what's, so I grew up, I guess, mainly in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the, the time of Top Gun and Red Dawn and all that stuff. Um, so our fear growing up was nuclear war. Um, and I find it interesting, like, the kids of this generation, you know, my my, my nephews, I know my, my uh, you know, that's being posted on Facebook, how they're reacting to it. This is going to be a, I mean, it's going to be traumatizing for that generation. They're going to grow up anytime, okay, through my life, and I've always, I, I've been desensitized to these things because every year there's some kind of, bird flu there's mm-hmm. uh uh open mouth and mad cow yeah. and and you know all those things and every year it's something so it's and it never turns into much and so yeah when this started i thought it was going to be kind of the same thing i think a lot of people did too and uh and still i probably am not taking it seriously as i should i don't know we'll see if i listen to this in a month and be like man what an idiot but you know i just like it, i don't think that we're not taking it seriously i just think we're not like over you know like hey some people some people get old like for example someone could get a parking ticket right and they're like okay whatever pay it but someone else can get a parking be like oh my gosh this is the worst day in my life it's not like i'm going out and licking doorknobs but yeah my point being like the 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 kids growing up now like for the rest of their lives every year when you know the new butterfly flu or whatever comes out they're gonna freak out and oh my gosh is there gonna be a uh, season of the year where just there's no toilet paper for the rest of their our lives is like February and March going to be no toilet paper months. See that that's that's what I'm saying too because you know it's the way like we we just the way you do it. It's not what you do; it's like the way you do it. Just like in South Korea, they're having the little drive-through stations and testing everybody. You know, they have more kits available. They did it in a way. See, Corona's there, Corona's here, but they did it in a way where they were like, okay, well, we can do it. This is a different way we can do it. Here, it's like everybody isolate. You know? Well, yeah, but I mean, those test kits, the availability of the test kits, uh, or the lack of availability here was, you know, it was the CDC that's regulating it, it's preventing. But also because they don't, like, I was reading some things and they don't want to do it because. So there's some, uh, like, you know, scientists in Germany really trying to test different things. And because they have the regulations, they're like, no, you know, we have these regulations, so we don't want it here. We don't want that here. But they have the option. But they're like, no, 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 no. You know, I, yeah, this is what... You're saying the regulation gives them the option? No, the regulation is saying, no, right. you know, we don't, we can't do that here. And because you have yeah. all of these reg, see, there's so many regulate like with the right, with the right. help with the hospitals. They have all those regulations about how many beds they can have. Now they got to start using hotels for beds, you know. And it's it, this is a thing, you know. We have all these regulations, and now they're kind of hurting us. Right. And I like with the bars. How are they? How is that helping? Now, you know, we had this whole thing where you can't you can't give kids under 18 anything to drink, right? Now you got this. You can you can take out beer and stuff. Wonderful. Yeah, but uh, what I'm saying is, you know, I'm thinking like I, I'm in Europe. I'm in Europe. I'm in a different country, you know. Well, so, well, well the, 
the drinking age is still in effect. Yeah, it, it <laughs> is, but it's much. I feel like it's much easier because, like, if you're saying before the Corona, you can go in a store and you get beer, right? And you get to say, "I'm getting it for myself." I mean, you go getting out. alcohol when you're underage has never been a problem in the states. I mean, but people are always like, you know, we gotta watch out for that. But if you're doing where you can a bar, you can actually pick up drinks, you know, because usually you're not supposed to take it out. You know, now you can pick up drinks. It's just so easy to give it someone underage. You know, like we start changing things because of this, this, and that. So sometimes regulations, they, they don't make any sense because I'm not sure how they're helping or hurting. Just like you said, she's like, well, no, you, this promotes drinking and driving. It promotes a lot of other things yeah. too. I mean, I'm generally opposed to regulation because, yeah, regulation, it, it's always, there's always an intent behind it. But there's all these negative consequences that most people don't think about, but I think the people that generally end up influencing the regulation do. And, and you know, regulation is, is anytime you have specific rules that are made, they benefit one group, one person over another. Um, and especially when you throw in, like the way the regulation is enforced, it's mm. enforced by an agency. So there's people that go out and they make rulings on this. And so it's, you know, these aren't criminal offenses, they're regulations. So it's not something that goes through the regular like criminal court system. It's, if you have a disagreement with a regulating agency, it's, it's really difficult to challenge that. Um, and so these regulations are put in place generally to benefit some at the expense mm -hmm. of another. Certain population of people, certain right. group of people. And, and yeah, and so overwhelmingly, they tend to, s the people that have the influence um, and end up getting favored treatment. A lot of the power. And that's, I think that's also another like big issue as well about, about power. You know what I'm saying? Um, Anytime have authority somebody's gonna figure out a way to abuse it and they did that you know what is that that was that the stanford prison experiment where it was like um they they got random people and they told them you know we, you can either be the guard or you can be the prisoner and then they showed that when you know when people who, who picked up to be the guard they started their control started getting kind of out of hand they were randomly assigned mm -hmm. to, and there were, they, they talked about this in the movie, but, well, there's a movie, there was a new movie on Netflix, and I believe they got this wrong in the movie, because my understanding was they assigned them at random to either prisoner or guard, they were explicitly told it was random, mm -hmm. and so they went into it knowing they could have been either a prisoner or a guard, but the people that were guards actually got this, um, mentality of, of uh, you know, they, they took it really seriously, like, and they started punishing um, the prisoners and, and became even more authoritarian over them. Even though, you know, these weren't actual prisoners, they hadn't done anything wrong, they knew that mm -hmm. they had equal chance of being in that other position. See, with that, I think that that's where, again, that's where the title thing comes in. Like, when people use, they have these ideas about what you do in this position, and this is how you should act, and this is, you know, what you should do, People and... fit into roles. Exactly. Um, you know, you tell somebody who is a criminal, 
and then that they're a criminal, then self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, they're but gonna they're it, gonna act out the part. It's a societal part. self-fulfilling prophecy well, because you okay, let's say you can be a newborn baby, right? Someone calls you a criminal, you're like, I don't know what that is. What's the meaning of that in society? You know what comes with all well, those yeah, and in it, society. It's, it's the meaning we put, but it it it, it brands them that. But okay, so you take somebody who because of where they grew up, the way that they see people making money is by selling drugs. Well, now they're a drug dealer, they get caught, suddenly they're a criminal. Um, and then it, it opens the door to acting, uh, you know, that's... In that way. Yeah, if you're dealing in an illegal enterprise, then you're going to use other illegal means, and that's why that's, there's so much violence in there. I mean, people that sell drugs, people that run those businesses I mean you know if you're at the top of the logistics thing for you know a major gang you're not a dummy you could be doing logistics for a fortune 500 company um, you know you're these guys are businessmen but because we've arbitrarily decided that their product is illegal we've branded the whole industry a criminal industry now suddenly with weed what are we doing we're legalizing it unfortunately we're also regulating it and so the people that are going to get in on this are the ones that have the political connections exactly it's going to be the pharmaceutical companies and they've done such a great job of <laughs> of, of managing everything else um pure sarcasm you know i, I just think... want to point that out it's not only obvious to some but <laughs> um you know it's now suddenly you know before people that did the same exact thing that these pharmaceutical companies that are now going to be doing, you know, legally because they got permission from the government to yeah. sell the same exact product, they get to make tons and tons of money off it. Whereas the guys that were doing it, you know, ten years ago, Probably they're jail. still <laughs> serving time in prison. You know, that's also the thing about regulation, <laughs> and I think also about the. Growing up, like you said, you know, they, the person grew up through a certain way and then they ended up doing drug dealing and they went to jail and then they became a criminal. You know, I think, though, when, when you get titled or labeled as a criminal, I feel like also what comes with being a criminal sometimes is, oh, man, mate, I can't get a certain job I want to get anymore. I lost this opportunity. Or now people are going to look at my record and be like, oh, well, it makes you who you are. But your record doesn't always do that. And that's the limiting thing about not just people, but certain types of people. Because I feel like if someone went to a different country, you know, or maybe someone met a different type of person and said, you know, this happened in my life, and another person would be like, that doesn't make who that doesn't make you who you are. But in certain societies, we look at certain things. We look at, oh, you're you're gay. Oh, well, ooh, I don't want to be around you because you know it makes you who you are and everything you do, and you know. Like, it's a judgment, and I think people use labels and everything else to be like, okay, this is how that person may be, they're a criminal, they, you want to stay away, or they're this, so you may want to stay away, and I think with the word criminal comes, like, your opportunities drop. The Just like the word positive, you want to stay away. Yeah, you want to stay away, yeah, you're, yeah, and then, like, for it, you're, if you're coronavirus positive, you, your opportunities could drop, because then you could go back in the work field, you're like, well, I was quarantined, like, Oh, you still got the corona? You know, like, if you're in deep, severe poverty, you know, I mean, someone would be like, well, you know, well, 
what kind of you know experience do you have? You can say, hey, well, you know, there wasn't that many opportunities in my neighborhood. I haven't seen and, actual statistics on this, but they, they are saying that uh, hate crimes against Asians are going up because of because of fear. <laughs> you know, hate crimes is a thing with fear too. That's why also with labels, hate, like someone could say. You know, you use the label gay and be like, oh, I don't like that. And it's not, it's not here, you know. So they're going to be, there's people who have, who hate a lot. There's people who still hate on a lot of black people. There's people who hate on everybody. And fear doesn't, fear of criminals doesn't make criminals go away. You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of things actually come back to humans being accepting. Humans wanting a community. But I think we have all these labels to separate us more and more and more. And have these regulations to bring more separation to an extent. And um, just even the word criminal is just like when 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 you get when you become a criminal, now you feel like okay, this is a a, a placement for me, you know. And it, to to go leave that aspect of criminal, there's less opportunities, less people to accept me, you know. And I might as well just stay in this business. It's you know I feel accepted. I may feel more accepted. And, I don't know, it's just really deep to me when I start thinking about words. That's like a, going back to the sociology type thing. But, Corona season is like a, a really hard time. And, like you said, power is with business. It's, it's I think power lies in, like you said, po- political atmospheres, which is also connected to business. Well, business doesn't have any... I think, on their own, exactly, they influence they politicians, and then the politicians use their authority to benefit. But the way you know the way that you fix that isn't to limit the businesses; it's to limit the authority. I think people feel like it's it's something that it's like it's so big to an extent to the point where it feels like you, you can't. And like I mean, I think that. I know honestly I feel like you know uh, activists the thing that activists do they're really trying but I feel like if you don't teach people about the system they don't really care they're not gonna care some someone could see you know something happening they're like well I don't care but if they knew that well it you know like for example so someone could flush a toilet 20 times a day but if someone told them you know you're flushing down this many gallons of water every day you'd be like oh well now I care a little bit more you know, I feel like once people understand the system, it doesn't change the system, but I feel like education encourages people to change their outlook and start, you know, saying, you know what, actually, I think we should decrease government or change, you know, have less regulations. It's getting people to think differently. That's what I think. That's just my opinion. I think it normalizes it. I mean, in school, we're taught that it's just that government exists, it has to exist, it does these things, and we expect it to do those things. When I was in school, I only remember taking two classes about government. I took one in middle school, and it was about like, you know, it was about the three branches, right? And then I took one in, in, uh, in, in uh, high school, and it was about history. But I still felt like I didn't really learn anything. Okay, so let me go back and, and, and I guess 
to make that point. Um, so we're taught that government is expected to do certain things. We just blindly accept that. We don't question it. And then we decide, we get on one side of the debate. And, and so, for example, um, okay, the gay marriage debate. So you had one side that said marriage should be between a man and a woman. That's the way it's been for thousands of years, and that's the way it should stay. And we need to preserve the concept of marriage. You had the other side that said, you know, gay people should be treated as equals. Um, they should get the same recognition that everyone else does. Uh, you know, it's, it's discrimination to treat them any different. Um, and those were the two sides of the debate, and most people fell on one of those two sides of the debate. Yeah. No, in general, people were not asking, why does the government even have a role in marriage? Why is it, why are they the ones that are recognizing this? If you look at marriage, it is a contract. It is. And so why does the government have any say in a contract between people? You know, so if two, if a man and woman want to make a contract, fine. If a man, man, woman, woman want to make a contract, you know, if, if six guys and three girls want to make a contract, why is that anyone else's business besides those people? Mm -hmm. Besides people putting mm -hmm. their names on that piece of paper, you know, and the slippery slope argument of, well, if we allow that now, then people are going to be marrying dogs and llamas. Dogs and llamas can't sign contracts. Hmm. Honestly, though, you know, like you said right there, it's framing. It's it that that is a frame. If we frame it in a way, you know, where it's like, well, who who should be marrying who versus why is the government involved? You know, that is a frame. And that's also, you know, I took a class one time called Mobilizing Change. And it was very political. And she and so basically class was about it was about framing. It was about framing. And so the class is about framing and um, basically what happened is, so we got all this like different documents that showed us that a lot of politicians use framing to a point to convince people, you know, to understand what they're trying to say or to say, hey, I have common sense too. This is only common sense. Or they use that word a lot apparently too. So frames, like I feel like in schools, maybe we're framed to see the government in a certain way as, you know, good, as doing what we need them to do, but they do not, you know, so that's a frame as well. Yeah, that's, that's something, people make the assumption that because government is not based on profits, that it's going to be more, it's going to act more benevolently than, than corporations or businesses because they are driven by profit, but I would argue that What's even worse than profit is power and... Power, control, you know... I mean, you got billionaires that are running for president. Why? Money. Because, well, they've power. got the money to they do get it, the but money the only thing that the they power. want is, is power. The only thing that is can benefit you more than money is power. And that's another limitation, I think, right there. Just that how money gets the power or gets the freedom. Why do we, we always buying our way to something? If you live in deep poverty, you, you're gonna have dreams of, you know, I just met someone and um, he was like, I have never really been to that many states, never been to New York City, you know, and he's, you know, you know, about to be 50 years old. And he was like, 
I want to go to Thailand, you know, it's where my mom's from, and, you know, and I can't go because I don't have the, I work full time, I have a 16 year old daughter, you know, my daughter's 16, she's not that young, but I have to take her everywhere with me still, and that costs a lot of money, I gotta pay for two tickets, and he's like, well, I can't take her out of school for that much time, and then, you know, I'm gonna be really busy at work during this time of the year, and if I get you know, if you get a ticket in the summer, that's going to be be more expensive. So you get to go kind of like during the non-summertime, which in Nebraska is like dead of winter almost. And, you know, or it's still cold. And, you know, I feel like, you know, I don't think that we've, everything has become about money. You can't get certain food without money. You got to get the worst food at the worst if you are living in like really deep poverty, you're gonna be like, oh, I take that food that expired two weeks ago, you know, because that's all I can afford. Or, you know, I can't really go on a trip to an, even another state because I don't have the money because I gotta pay for my light fixture. We should have the opportunity, but we limit opportunities based on money. And I just think that it, it is an unfair system. And I, and I know people say, well, you know, everything in life's unfair. No, everything in life's unfair to an extent because we also make a lot of things in life about money. And if you don't have the money, then you can't really do anything. Sometimes you don't have money, you can't even buy a car. You can't even buy a used car. You can't even buy a TV, because you don't have the money. No number of lives is worth a point on the Dow, as in, you know, we're talking about lives, and so, you know, financial stuff takes the back seat. But the people that this is really affecting financially are the people that are at the lower end of the socioeconomic spe- spectrum. Yeah. And for them, it's not just a matter of a point on the Dow. It's not a matter of the value of their stocks. It's a matter of, am I going to use what I have to pay my rent or to buy groceries or to take care of this other health-related mm-hmm. issue I have? And considering, you know, the people that are affected by whose jobs are affected, the service industry tend to make up that group. And that's the industry we've decided to shut down that's not essential. So a lot of them don't even have the money to do that. Their source of income has stopped. You know, the people that this really affects, and you know, I, I'm speaking in generalizations. I understand that there's people that have compromised immune systems or that have other conditions that, that put them at risk. But statistically, the highest at-risk group sector is people that are over 50. Yeah. If you look at um, where they stand financially, those tend to be the wealthier people because they've had all their life to acquire assets. Mm, yeah. And by assets, it's not a job that they have to go to to get money. It's property that they're collecting rent on. You know, a lot of them have their homes paid off, so they don't have to pay mm-hmm. rent. Um, they have pensions. They have... Uh, you know, stocks where, yeah, the stock values are down, but they're still collecting dividends. Um, you know, so they have they have assets where they're collecting revenue from. And so for them, when the service industry shuts down, it's not a big deal. They can still, well, they have the money to stock up on 30 days worth of food and shelter in place. And, you know, again, for that person that's making the decision on whether or not to buy groceries that day or pay her rent... She absolutely can't stock up on 30 days of groceries. No. I don't know. I just, like... See, that's why it kind of, like, annoys me. 
because in general corona already affected that population you know it's, it's always like a battle between you know especially depending on what you make a lot of people that like are in deep poverty they more likely have underemployment which may you, you may work like a job or they may change your shift they may change your schedule last minute they may make you come in you know and there's no laws to, like in Nebraska to really stop that there's a lot in other states they've tried to stop it where you can't just make your employee come in mandatory and you only give them like less than 24 hours heads up that yay we need you to come work this shift you know what I'm saying and so I just feel like you know I don't know like this was already a big thing for people before Corona, like being picking which one they need to pay for. Do I pay for the light bulb that just went out, or do I pay, you know, to get, you know, this food for my child? And especially if you can't meet, like the, you know, like with SNAP, SNAP is supplemental food, right? But if you, if the cost of living is already kind of, if it's already high, and SNAP is supplemental food, that means you should already have money to buy food, but the cost of living is already so high, and you are, you just miss it by a little bit to be eligible for SNAP, which is actually very low line, it's like, oh my gosh, you can't even get help with that much, and then people always saying, like, I'm, like, for my research, right, I just, I just, um, added, you know, I just went through and I added some new paragraphs, and one of them was about how, like, for DHHS, um, it was about how for DHHS, uh, which is here in Nebraska, they, they, um, you know, they, the people will have the sanction, right? You can get your, you can get your case closed, you can get your benefits dropped, and you really, most people don't get their benefits dropped, they get their case closed, or they get a sanction if something happens, right? So, um, and sometimes if you don't report something, they might give you a sanction or they may say you pay us, you gotta, you have an overpayment and you gotta pay us back money for whatever you got. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, (laughs) this doesn't make any, wait, 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 that just doesn't make any sense, um, at all. It doesn't, you know, to do that. And, um, to give someone sanctions and, or say, we're going to threaten to close your case if you don't turn this in in less than seven days. Basically, on top of it, they're already trying to get above the cost of living, which is already so high, and that's already so hard when you gotta, I need a car for reliable transportation, what, because I can't, if I take the bus, the bus may come late one day, you know, or, you know, something happens with my child, and then I just miss it by one minute, you know, it's really tough out there, especially if you don't have that much money. I want to go back to <laughs> You're crazy. Um, you, so you, you talked about employers and how they're dealing with mm-hmm. uh, with COVID nineteen, um, but it's it's to me the bigger concern is that it's being directed. And you know, I mentioned how our response is targeting one group. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's causing it's it, we're, we're treating it as a financial hardship, and that you know lives matter more than finances. But in this case, finances are going to have a direct impact on their health mm-hmm. when you're talking food and, and healthcare and things like that but this position is being framed by um you know it's being pushed by our our, our elected leadership um and i think a, a big reason for that is that those people the wealthier people are the ones that have the political clout mm-hmm. and that's why we're having this response but it's the way that it's been pushed i mean even younger people you're looked at as a social outcast if you're wanting to go out and work, or if you even question um, how it is affecting 
younger people, how it is affecting people that are having more of a financial impact from this, yeah. um, as opposed to, you know, having a high risk of, of actually um, dying from, from uh, coronavirus. Yeah, like, you know, even you go somewhere and you're like, how's it going? You still working? Like, we, it was, it's weird, but like people, they, like it's hurting a lot of people. They actually need the money to live. One thing that I thought was interesting, it was really cool though, like even before the government regulations or the rules came out about this and, you know, uh, businesses were forced to close, they were actively taking steps to reduce the risks. And so many of the businesses had, uh, had limited the number of people coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they, we will always look at, we have a tendency to look at businesses as being evil and profit driven, Yeah. but you know, businesses, especially these smaller local businesses, I mean, they're, it's people that are running them and, and it's our neighbors and they do care about us. And so they do actively take steps to be ethical businesses. I mean, there are exceptions. Um, whereas, you know, with bigger businesses also, but definitely with the government, it just becomes bureaucratic. Uh, and, and I thought this was really cool. Uh, one of the local business owners put out something on Facebook the other day. Um, and, and basically the, the governor put out an order here in Nebraska um, that bars are allowed to do takeout. Uh, and so they, you, know, you can buy um, bottled beer, take it out with you. Well, it also specified uh, mixed drinks. Um, and you just put a to-go top on the mixed drink as long as it's covered they can take it out um and you know what it's it's interesting that they're now allowing this suddenly for financial reasons because Mm -hmm. it is a hardship on the bars but the reason that they didn't allow it before is supposedly because of safety because people will get drunk and drive um and i thought what was really cool uh and and i guess i'll mention her by name but uh, kelsey sanders the owner of 1867 bar yeah um, here at Fourteenth uh, and O, she actually posted on Facebook that this is allowed, but she is not going to do that because that's an absolutely absurd thing to do. It promotes drinking and driving, and I mean, you know, she's taking a loss on this. I mean, you know, she would definitely sell more alcohol if she sold mixed drinks to go. Yeah. And even though the government's allowing it, so you know, here suddenly safety hasn't isn't a concern of the government anymore. Exactly. But private businesses are actually willing to say, look, I'm not going to do this because I think it's wrong and I think it's great. Thank you for listening to page three. Please check out page four for more on talking to people about social issues and about their life stories. If you'd like to reach out to me, please reach out to me through this platform. And as always, enjoy the rhythms of life.